0: Well, good morning, and welcome to our worship service this morning. And a nice, crisp morning this morning, nice and cold. And uh, well, we woke up this morning not having any power, and so I am very grateful to my neighbour this morning who has solar power and has kindly uh, allowed us to connect into his system. So I do trust that the service goes smoothly, that we're able to sing and pray and and read and even have the word of God in an unhindered, uh, unobstructed way. So greetings to all and trusting that this would be a wonderful Lord's Day uh, set aside for us as we, we worship and just focus our attention on the Lord Jesus. Just a few notices before we get started this morning. I do want to first of all mention that we will give any details of changes uh, if the president makes any uh, adjustments to the restriction levels, we will communicate to you. I am hoping that next week we'll be back uh, in our buildings uh, together, uh, being able to worship in a far more adequate uh, and better way. Then the second notice is the young adults camp to the Drakensberg has been postponed. So young adults do take note of that. That's going to take place now, planned to be the 25th of November to the 4th of December. So set those dates aside and trusting by the end restrictions on travel and all those kinds of things will no longer be in place. And then thirdly, just to mention that Lauren uh, has been back uh, here in South Africa on furlough and is now preparing to return to the field. So on, on Monday night at 7.30, uh, Lauren will be hosting a Zoom update meeting. It will be via Zoom. So, if you'd like to participate, we'd encourage you to participate. You can get a a password and Zoom ID uh, from any one of us uh, pastors. Just send us a message, and we'll uh, forward that uh, to you um, as well. But let's turn our thoughts, our attention, our hearts uh, to the Lord, and uh, bow our heads in the Word of Prayer as we come. Uh, before him in this time of of corporate, different kind of corporate, but corporate worship uh, together. Our Father God, we do want to just acknowledge again this morning that you are worthy to be worshipped, that you are at work in this world accomplishing your purposes. And even Lord, we understand, we remember the words of Jesus that I will uh, build my church Nothing. The gates of Hades would not be able to uh, prevail against your church. And so, Lord, even in these difficult times, we know that we uh, can worship. We we do worship you coming in the name of Jesus, uh, dependent on the work of your spirit in us and among us and, and even through us. And so may we this morning exalt your name and may, Lord, your church be strengthened and edified. As you build your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name.
1: Good morning, church. Today's reading is found in Genesis 5, verse 12 to 24. And it reads as follows. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived, after he fathered Jared, 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. worth 365 years enoch walked with god and he was not for god took him and that's the reading of the word of the lord
2: good morning church this morning i want to add a prayer of one of the puritans into the pastoral prayer so let us pray O sovereign comforter the world is whispering its lies that you are not sovereign not kind not holy good and that this life is too great for me to bear. This life and its sorrows are so great, and oh, how my flesh is prone to believe such things. Remind me that in my weakness you are strong, in my lacking you are abundance, in my forgetfulness you are forever present and working. In my darkest hour, oh Holy Spirit, remind me of your promises, that Christ has not forgotten me, that he has conquered over. Sin and death, that this life is for the glory of God and God alone. Take this broken spirit and may it soar on wings like eagles. May I walk and not grow weary. May I run and not grow faint. May my life shout your glory and praise while I walk in obedience in the valleys and on the mountains and in the day of great joy and deepest sorrow forever and ever. Oh, glory to God today, tomorrow and forever. Lord, indeed, that is our prayer this morning, uh, that we will be reminded that you are sovereign over everything. Uh, Regardless of the events of last week, where we seem to have been in chaos, Lord, um, you are still in control and you are still sovereign. Do not let us grow weary, Lord. I do want to pray in accordance to your scriptures, for our authorities. We pray for our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, that you will give him wisdom in in, in his administration in administering uh, justice and uh, righteously leading this country. I pray for the premier of Hauteng, David Makura, that you will give him wisdom as well, Lord, and the, our mayor, Randall Williams, I pray that your hand will be over the governors and rulers that you have placed put in place at this point, that they will um, righteously uh, judge and, and righteously lead. Um, and Lord, we also pray for those that are in need. Lord, we, we pray for those that are in our congregation that are looking for work, those that have been heavily affected by the pandemic. We ask you that you will provide for them we pray for those that also are not doing well lord we pray for ron matthews uh, that you will strengthen and, and restore him we pray for uh, diane's father-in-law that is in in icu we ask you that you will touch him and your healing hand will be with him we pray for the fanyardsville family lord uh, especially for rudy and michelle lord we uh, love them so much. They ha- have been such a blessing to our church. Uh, thank you for, for Rudy uh, in Bethesda and and his work, uh, even in, uh, in the treasury. Um, we pray for Michelle as well, the blessing she is at the church office. So we ask you that you will touch them and heal them and restore their health, Lord. We also ask you, Lord, for Miriam Mashiri and her family as they grieve um, for her sister who passed away. And so we, we ask that your Holy Spirit will comfort their hearts, Lord. Listen to our prayer this morning. I ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Once again this morning, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, focus this morning on, on verse 17. But you want to remind you that it comes in a context And uh, verse 15 and 16 and even 18 that follows, very significant uh, around this one particular verse. But why don't you bow your heads before we uh, read the verse, I do want to also make uh, a few introductory comments. Lord, thank you for the scriptures and keep us, Lord, I pray from taking your word for granted. And even asking that we remember this morning that you have not left us in the dark, but that you speak to us regarding all matters of life and godliness, that any matter required for us to know you, to follow you, to please you, to live out life in a a practical and God honoring way. And so, Lord, thank you that we can come and also depend on your spirit to guide and direct and to teach us and to receive your word this morning. Enable me, Lord, I pray to speak simply and clearly. And may we, Lord, go together uh, as a church going forward, seeking to edify the church in making disciples, in doing your work, and you, Lord, being pleased and honored in that which we do, we pray. Also, Lord, just uh, remember this morning, we do pay, pray for Arano uh, to Blanche, whose father passed away. Uh, do commend them to you as a family, that your gracious hand of mercy and your presence be their portion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the reason I wanted to say something about the context this morning is we did last week tackle, and having tackled what uh, last week I referred to as the Godward and manward duty uh, that we have. We saw that in verse 15, where we were looking towards our Godward duty. And then in verse 16, we focused on our manward, uh, the the responsibility, the duty that we have uh, to our fellow human beings, and particularly to those in the church. But this morning, this morning, I want to focus on verse seven, uh, verse 17 from Hebrews 13, and I want to unpack and I'm going to take a bit of time in doing it, I want to unpack the relationship in the church between members and leaders. It's an awkward passage to preach, but I want you to bear with me this morning and 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 listen to what the word of God has to say. God clearly has something to say instructing members and leaders regarding duties and responsibilities that we have toward each other. So having said that, uh, look at your Bible and, and let's have a look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Well, to introduce the passage this morning, this uh, responsibility of duty that we have toward each other, I want us to think about the nature of this relationship. And to do that, I want us to turn to God's world around us. I want to look beyond the church just at nature, looking at nature, and I want to demonstrate uh, by doing this how important it is for both the member and the leader to submit to the word of God, directing us in the way that we regard, the way that we relate to each other. So my first point this morning is be sure you opt For what is good for you. Be sure you opt for what is good for you. Now, we do live in a world of relationships. Everything is related to something else. This means that there are particular ways that not only people, but all creatures, all organisms regard and behave toward each other. Now, some of these ways that creatures and organisms and people relate to each other is manifestly harmful. Now, I will give you an example. Take, for example, the relationship between you and a mosquito. That tiny little creature that can really buzz around your ear and get, you, get me certainly quite uptight. Well, the mosquito is the one that benefits He finds all the nutrition that he needs from your blood. You, however, are the loser. You may end up with an irritable itch, or in extreme circumstances, you may even end up dying of malaria. Well, the mosquito is a parasite. The interaction that you have with the mosquito and the mosquito has with you is such that the mosquito benefits at your expense. Well, that's the way some relationships unfold. There's another type of relationship in the natural world. It's known as relationships of competition. It's another harmful way that organisms regard and behave toward each other. So the different parties in this particular uh, interaction have no regard for the well-being of the other. Every single creature in this kind of relationship looks out for self-interest. It governs the interaction. And then what happens in this kind of relationship, the fitness or the wellness of both organisms, both species, is lowered in the presence of the other. In other words, in a competition-type relationship, both are losers. Those are negative ways in which some of the negative ways in which people relate and regard to each other. There's also a way that organisms and species relate. That is, I've called wonderfully beneficial. Take, for example, the relationship between that little bird called the oxpecker who sits and eats ticks on the back of a rhinoceros. Now, there's a beneficial relationship. The oxpecker feeds the parasitic ticks and removes them off of the rhinoceros. Now, this kind of relationship where both species benefit, we call a relationship which is known as mutualism. There's a mutual benefit, both benefit from the relationship. And the reason I've I've, I've, I've introduced this message this particular way this morning, because God's word directing us as members and leaders that it is that we ought to be in a relationship that fits into the category of mutualism. Where you, the member, benefit, and where we leaders, we elders, benefit. And in that kind of relationship, we know that God is pleased and God is honored. Putting it another way, we could say it's a win-win relationship. Now surely, surely this is the kind of relationship we want to have among us in the church between members and leaders and leaders and, and members. It's the kind of relationship we ought to deliberately and intentionally opt for in the context of the church. Now I know the possibility and this was a difficult verse for me to approach and prepare. And I'm thinking, yes, there, there perhaps are some of you members out there thinking, well, isn't this nitpicking and, and, and to the advantage of leaders? And, and, and why are we talking like this this morning? Why not, why not just let relationships in the church between members and leaders and elders evolve naturally? Why can't we just uh, conform to, to cultural norms? Or why don't we take into account personality types and and preferences that particular groups would have? Perhaps even more concerning to some of you listening to this message this morning is that this kind of directive that we find in this verse, in verse seventeen, uh, directive to members, is countercultural. It's not where we are in twenty twenty one. We don't like to talk what seemingly at first glance in this passage is hierarchical and paternalistic. Well, I want to encourage you to put those thoughts aside and just take some time and pause with me. And let us take a closer look at verse 17 and as we do so to consider this relationship between members and leaders in the church. So secondly, I want to move on then. Be sure you know what is at risk. There's a bigger picture. There's always a bigger picture that we need to consider. And I want to go back to the events in our country over these past weeks, Uh we all have been shocked. We country's been devastated. And, but, but I wonder, wonder about those people who were involved as looters as they were running together in their hundreds and thousands. I don't know what the bigger groups were like. But as they were running in those big groups, what, if they gave any thought to what was at risk in their mob action. Yes, there was the anticipation of gaining something. Perhaps they would gain a fridge. Perhaps they would gain a television. Perhaps they would gain something that they'd been longing for. But beyond the fridge, beyond the television, beyond whatever was taken in that mob action, did they give any thought to what, in fact, was at risk? Well, we know now 10 days, two weeks later, that many things were at risk. We know now, as a result of this action, this uh, looting, some 150,000 jobs have been lost. The very people who were perhaps involved, or their neighbors, or their family, have lost jobs. We, as a church, have got involved in uh, donating money because many people, as a consequence of this action, are hungry, unable to access food. Don't have resource to buy food. In the biggest scheme of things in our country, there has been a a harmful, there's been an impact, a negative impact on our economy. There has been a loss of confidence in local and even foreign investment. Now now why am I saying this is because we need to always be thinking what is at risk if only in that situation 2 weeks ago these vulnerable these I think vulnerable people exploited in this tragic turn of events if only they could see what had been at stake Now in a similar way we believers need to see need to think about what is at stake In this matter of relationship, the relationship between members and leaders. I want to begin with the relationship. I've called it for the member. What is at stake for the member? Well, our passage tells us it's soul safety. You and I need to understand the huge value of godly leadership in the battle for your soul. That's what you need to be thinking of. You see, if your soul is at risk in this world, if eternity is at stake in the unfolding of your life, why then, why then would we want to ignore Paul's warning to the members of the church at Ephesus? Let me read the passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He tells them as as a farewell speech, I know that after my departure, wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The members at Ephesus were in danger of being exploited. Just a few weeks ago, earlier on in Hebrews, uh, chapter 13, this particular chapter, we saw God warning against being led away by diverse and strange teaching. And I pointed out in that particular message that that's not just an immediate Uh, a challenge in a particular situation there's a history there's a background uh, and 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 the background the source of the false teaching from the beginning uh, right back to the garden of eden is satan so lies and deception are his business he's constantly at work and doing so with purpose a purpose that we have some insight into peter describes this in 1 peter 5 verse 8 be sober-minded he says to those members Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. What's his purpose? Seeking whom he may devour. You need to understand your soul is at risk. You have a target on your back. Satan wants to destroy your faith. Shockingly, and maybe surprisingly to some of us, we may think, In some instances, Satan will succeed, and he will succeed in deceiving not just the unbelieving pagan, but he will succeed in deceiving many who are professing believers. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus issued a warning. He said, on that day, speaking of the day of judgment, when all things uh, come to an end, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? In other words, Lord, we were involved in religious activity. And they even did mighty works in your name. Verse 23, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, they are going to be, in the words of Jesus, many people, many professing believers, many active religious people deceived. Their soul was at risk and they succumbed to the danger. And so then we need to see not only Satan himself, but like sheep, we are easily led astray. Sheep are not the brightest animals, and I don't mean to insult us and I include myself in that, but we people are like sheep. Sometimes we just wander off on our own. Sometimes we just downright stubborn or difficult. Sometimes we're on our own mission. What am I trying to say? We need, we therefore need someone to look out for soul safety. In the first instance, we know it is Jesus. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. And we have many promises from the scriptures uh, unfolding to us the work that he does in keeping his sheep. The well-being of your soul, yes, is in his hand. But... He has also delegated responsibility to the under-shepherds. Under-shepherds need to take care of the souls, the elders. Now in the Greek uh, elders are referred to by different words, but I want to use the word today, and I'll give the Greek word to you. it's called episcopos. The elder is the one that oversees over. he's the overseer. He's the one that looks over. The elder is charged with taking care of the spiritual well-being within the context of the relationships that members have with elders in the local church. So there's a challenge to members and we're all members. I'm a member of the church as well. What lengths are you prepared to go to to ensure your safe arrival in heaven? Are you willing to actively ensure your eternal well-being that it is being served by the right kind of relationship with the leaders, with the elders? Do you see the risk? Do you see that possibility of falling away? Something that you face by simply doing your own thing disregarding God's directive in the way that you regard, the way that you behave toward leaders, and specifically referring to elders in the local church. Bottom line, this passage tells me this morning, God is telling us your relationship toward the leaders in the church matters, for they are keeping watch over your souls which leads me to my second point be sure you know what is at risk now I want to speak for the leader uh, for the elder and I've called this risk uh, emotional equilibrium this passage tells us and this is true to life I've been in the ministry long enough to know this the way leaders are regarded by members will determine whether they serve with joy on the one hand or whether they drag their heels doing what they have to do with groaning. Your attitude towards elders and pastors has an effect. Now, let me take a step back because I want to make it clear that I understand that every single job in this world, every vocation has its unique challenges. Uh, Leadership in the local church is not... Uh, the only uh, vocation or job or career calling that has particular difficulties. But I do want to just give you some insight or perhaps remind you this morning of some of the challenges. And they are somewhat unique challenges that leaders are faced in the local church. The role of the pastoral leadership involves constant interaction with a diverse group group of people we're not just dealing with young adults at university or grade 7s transitioning into high school into grade 8 the spiritual leader the elder in the local church the pastor in the local church is 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 constantly interacting with a host of varying needs and people they're young people and they're old people they're middle-aged people they're immature people they're mature people they're different ethnicities they all sorts of theological leanings They various personalities and then there's the the different situations and challenges from discouragement to disillusionment to depression to to those who are sick and to those who are dying and those who are getting married and those who are having babies and those who are having marital difficulties and those who are getting divorced and those who are happy and those who are, you, you get the idea? This job, this, this, this responsibility is, is all over the place. And my point is that since elders, pastoral leaders, have so much exposure to so many different faces of humanity, and don't forget as sinful, frail, albeit saved, frail human being. His own emotional sanity is at stake. Our passage refers to the groaning of the leader. It happens. It happens. It happens in his ministry, resulting from what I would want to call this morning ungodly treatment by the members Now ungodly treatment comes in different shapes and sizes and I have a list and I could speak for hours on this topic because I've been in the church churches for a number of years now. But let me give you some categories and one or two examples. Malicious attack. You know what it's like as a frail, albeit saved, uh, leader, elder, pastor, To arrive at church on a Sunday morning and open the office door about to preach in half an hour and find a letter, an anonymous letter saying that uh, accusing the pastor of being unfit for the ministry, but not really being able to discuss it because it's anonymous and having to go on and preach. Man, that makes the pastor groan. It affects his sanity. And, And the list continues, not just malicious attack repeatedly, unkind criticisms. I'm so glad Central Baptist Church has become a happy church. But I want to tell you, 20 years ago, it was an unhappy church. I remember receiving two letters, one from an elders who's left wife, informing Carol and I that we just don't have big enough feet to step into the shoes of the previous pastor. Wow, why would one, somebody want to do that? This unkind criticism, it might be true. There's another way of dealing with it. Other examples can be given undermining, misrepresentation. That is a common, common problem. Ungodly treatment misrepresenting, uh, distorting the truth, uh, speaking selectively of a particular situation, uh, showing disrespect and sometimes involved in the relationship of duplicity, uh, uh, Colgate's smile on the one hand and a knife in the other hand, duplicity, uh, insincerity, bullying, backstabbing. Now my point is this. If members keep shooting bullets and keep throwing hand grenades at the leader, he will end up as an emotional wreck and he will be of no value to the church and no value to the sheep. So what happens? Well, in the end, in many instances, he just leaves. You will find the statistics that uh, the tenure of pastors on average is no more than five or six years. Just leave. The groaning becomes too intolerable. In other instances, he stays, And I want to say even worse, he stays. Because grudgingly now, he does what he has to do in the process of church and responsibility and leadership. But he does it dragging his heels. The church is negatively and adversely affected. God is dishonored and the pastor's family suffers. And so my point this morning, as I've studied this passage, I, was, I approached it with real fear and trepidation. But, but I've seen again, important that we speak about these things. Your relationship as a member toward the leaders matter. Notice what verse 17 says. They are keeping watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Well, that would be of no advantage to you. Now, there's another risk that members need to be aware of uh, so as to avoid spiritual catastrophe. It's far too frequent uh, in terms of its presence. And uh, it is what I want to call this morning... The presence and influence of delinquent leaders, which takes me to a third point. I want to deal with this thing separately because it's so big. And I've called my point, be sure there is safety. There is a safety measure in place. I've spoken about Satan. I've spoken about uh, deception and and uh, wolves in sheep's clothing and, and false teaching. And so the question is, how, how on earth... Can you, a member, be safe from the leadership of, and we can describe these kind of leaders in different ways, but I've described them this morning as smooth and slick and very convincing hucksters. They're hucksters. They're showing up all over Christendom, in our city, all over the world. I've become so discouraged, even with celebrity preachers across the world because of, of of deviation and delinquency when the pressure is applied. You see, like the thousands of people who made up the mobs looting our country last week, there are literally thousands upon thousands of gullible and I say that not critically, but as an observation, gullible, naive, vulnerable men and women who get caught up in the short-term promises of false religion. Well, God has put a safety measure in place to protect professing believers from delinquent leaders. The safety measure is identifying leaders as those who, those who keep watch over your soul, as those who will have to give an account. I want to try and develop that idea of having to give an account. First of all, speaking to us leaders, elders, pastors, people like me, speaking to myself, this ought to be a sobering message to us. Every leader in the church, every elder in the church needs to hear and tremble in their boots. Leaders, Central Baptist and elsewhere, Know that whatever you decide about how you will do church. This is all under the watchful eye of God. To whom you and I will give an account. Every one of us. Now I want to go broader. We leaders will give an account to God for the way that we conducted ourselves as elders and leaders in the church. But it goes beyond that because every one of us, including delinquent leaders, will not escape the accountability of God. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight. God sees every single thing. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But I want to go back to the leader and again remind you of a passage. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, giving a charge to young Timothy as a young preacher, young pastor, and uh, just giving him some insight into the weightiness, the seriousness of of of, of this work that he's entering into. Second uh, Timothy chapter four verse one. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. This business is about God. It's not just about what we like and what people like. It's about God who is to judge the living and the dead. Preacher, you better know that. You better hear that. And by his appearing in kingdom, therefore preach the word. There's an accountability. There is a day up ahead that each of the sneaky snakes, and there are many of them sneaky snakes, that exploit vulnerable people. Why do they do it? They do it to boost their own egos to make them feel better because they get bigger and better, and lots of people following they do it to fill their pockets we 've seen some of these uh, delinquent preachers and and some of the the wealth that has been exposed and and and, and, and exploited out of uh, people Someone in fact called some of these people penny pinchers taking from the poorest of people to enrich themselves, and others simply do it to improve. Their popularity ranking; they want to be seen uh, as, as as great preachers in the eyes of society. Each one, each one will face God and be judged for their delinquency. Now, I want to take this a bit further because you may say, "Yes, that's okay. That's that's then. That's that's on that day when the Lord returns. What about now?" Well. God has provided a means of accountability in the present. He's provided a safety, measure, a safety measure for you and for me to put into place in the local church. And so as members, we're speaking about the way we conduct ourselves as members. As members, you must take responsibility. We must take responsibility in the way that we appoint leaders. Very, very important. Leaders must only be appointed those who qualify according to the God-given criteria, because that criteria is the very thing that God will use in holding leaders accountable. We have those listed in various passages, but uh, this morning I just mentioned the reference 1 Timothy 3, 1-13 to and Titus 1, to 5-9. Go and read those passages. See what it is. Leaders ought to qualify. They ought to fit into the category and and criteria. And the point is this. To neglect diligent compliance to what God has prescribed will be to your own peril. For the sake of your eternal well-being, don't compromise in the appointment of leaders. Well, I've tried to show you uh, a background All of the above teaching to show you the benefit of mutualism. Member benefiting, leaders benefiting. In regard to the way we approach our duties and responsibilities toward each other. Now I think I'm ready and it's my final point. Bringing us to a place where we can be sure that God's design is best. Mutualism, I've said it and I'll say it again, means that both benefit. That can only be the case if both members and leaders do what God assigns them to do. So we move on, and I want to now focus on, well, what is it? What is it for the member? Well, for the member, it's obey and submit. Now, these original words don't have the possibility of exegetical gymnastics to make them mean what they don't mean. They simply mean what they mean. There's nothing you can do. You can't modify, you can't distort it. They literally mean members obey and submit. There's a slight difference between the two words that is worth highlighting. The difference between obedience, which implies going along with the direction and command, the lead of the of the leaders, whereas submission deals with attitude. And the point that I want to make here is that any one of us can obey outwardly while seething with anger or rebellion on the inside. It's not real submission. And I mention this because it raises the key issue that we leaders need to take note of and that needs to develop between us as members and leaders. Submission implies a sweet spirit of cooperation that stems from trust. You see, it is that you as a member trust the leaders that they have the best interest of your soul at heart, that they desire to honor God, that they desire to please God. And so because you trust the leaders, you follow them. That's the point. And I must add again, uh, this is not blind subservience. It is cooperation and partnership in a God-designed context for God's purpose and God's glory. And again, I want to come back to the issue where deviance is present or suspected. Accountability kicks in. Do you remember that as members? Accountability always kicks in. Abusive leaders, disobedient leaders, any kind of deviant leader, delinquent leader should be confronted. But what does the Bible tell us? On the evidence of at least two members, not letters under the door with no name on them. That's that's ungodly. On the evidence of at least two members and then appropriately confronted. If necessary, he must even be removed from office. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Well, that's the duty of the member. Uh, Be sure of God's design being best. Obey and submit. But I want you to go on now and speak about the responsibility for the leader. And I've called this soul care and fear. You see, whether you hold a pen in your hand, I have a pen here, if you hold a pen in your hand or you sit in the driving seat of your car, in fact, if you take I try to think of any object, and now looking around in my lounge, there also is a camera, the lights, the chairs. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. A pen is for writing. It's not for poking holes in paper. A car, a car is for transportation. It's not for turning it into a chicken coop. Everything has a purpose. Elders, elders have a designated purpose. Cannot uh, see it more plainly and simply in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So now my attention my, my attention turns to the elders. Now I'm speaking to myself and I'm speaking to others who are elders and leaders in the church. And the question is, are you doing, am I doing what 1 Peter chapter 5 two. Says. Are we doing that individually? Are we doing that as a group? And even to ask more specifically, whose soul are you taking care of at the moment? Now, I think these are hard and penetrating questions. But soul care, the responsibility of members, is not something that elders can simply gloss over. Elders, leaders, we've got to do it. Just got to do it. And if we're not prepared to do it, whether we be pastors or called pastors or appointed elders, we need to stand back. Let somebody else take up that responsibility. Let's not get in the way. Let's not be part of the risk of somebody's soul falling away. You see, to be found wanting in this regard, and and again, one can develop any one of these uh, reasons. Sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes it's absenteeism. Sometimes it's an uncaring attitude or having ulterior motives or having a domineering approach or being a bad example. Anything that is not pleasing to God will provoke the anger of God. And if I could say to leaders, with no prospect of receiving the unfading crown of Of glory. And so therefore. A healthy fear of God. Every believer ought to have yes. But more so we who are elders. We need to have a fear of God. As we approach the responsibility. That God has placed before us. The stakes are high. Let us not as elders mess. With God's design. His sheep. Are precious to him. He laid down his life for them on the cross. Well, let me conclude, and, and I want to conclude by going back to nature and the picture of the wonder and blessing of mutualism. This time I want to consider the relationship between bees and flowers. Bees fly from flower to flower. They gather nectar, which they make into food. Benefiting the bees... But in this mutualistic relationship, the bees get to eat. And do you know that the plants, the flowering plants, get to reproduce? Members and leaders, we're not competitors. Neither are we parasites. We shouldn't be feeding off each other for selfish benefit. Our relationship, and I really believe it is mostly like this at Central something that we can always improve in and strive towards, one of mutual benefit. But I do close with a twofold challenge, to members. As a member, what regard do you have for the elders and pastors of the church? How do you behave toward them? Do you need to repent from some kind of sinful attitude or action? And in so doing, revise the way you behave toward the elders. After a message like this, it's a good time to do that, just to go before God and repent of your sin. But to the elders, to the elders and preaching to myself, can you honestly affirm that you are a faithful and trustworthy overseer of the souls of the men and women of the Central Baptist Church? We have an elders meeting coming up, and I think we ought to reflect on that question. Are we doing it as a group? Are we doing it as individuals? And again, the response must be either yes or no. Do you need to repent from deviating from God's charge to you? In the way that you shepherd the flock that God has entrusted to you. And so, remember, why don't you pray for the leaders to stay on track And if necessary, get on track. Elders, let us resolve to serve God's people, God's way, to the glory of His name. And So Lord, we pray for each other, a message that really applies domestically to us as a local church from time to time, just to look at our relationships uh, among each other, with each other, our responsibility as uh, elders and pastors and members. And I do pray, Lord, that Your Word would always uh, scratch where it itches, if necessary, and and Lord ap- apply uh, if the shoe fits, uh, may we wear it, and and so take us forward. But Lord, taking us forward always as a healthier church, uh, church doing what You want us to do, and and Lord affirming uh, in conviction and action that which You have revealed and. And we're enabled to believe by your spirit. And so even as we sing in closing, just affirming uh, our convictions of all that you have done and all of who you are. Bless us and keep us and help us as a church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a benediction. And I believe this morning the benediction from Hebrews, the next couple of verses. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may be able to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.